Turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians 5, continuing our study on the fruit of the Spirit. Just remind you real quick of our jumping off point, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and that's where we are. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, and I've already brought you two messages on joy. This morning's the third. Um, we started with seeing the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's coming from the Spirit. It's not coming from the world. The Spirit's working this in us. It's something that's unique and powerful and wonderful for the believer. We saw last week that through the resurrection of Christ, He gives us unending, irrevocable joy. So having had now two sermons on joy was last week's you know, a better week than the week before? You know, some of you saying yes, some of you being compelled to honesty say, I'm not real sure it was. And I, I think it's true for all of us, we can have a good definition of joy, we can know where it's from, we can be commanded to do it, we know certain things about it, and yet we still aren't more joyful. So I'm going to hang out here a little bit, hopefully we'll, we'll become more joyful um, I thought about this morning, you know, I don't think I've ever done a series on joy, but this is going to be five messages, I'm going to do two more after this week, on joy, and I thought, man, somebody, y'all send it to Joel Olstein. he'll make a million bucks off of it, okay, because he'll turn it into something that's happy, 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 I know, and, but I'm hoping you get that happiness, that joy of the Lord, and it's not made up, it's not invented, it becomes something you, you get, week after week after week because of your relationship with the Lord. In Romans 17, I want you to catch that verse one more time as well. Excuse me, Romans verse four, chapter 14, verse 17. Romans 14, verse 17, a very quick definition of the kingdom of God. says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I want us to think this morning about how to, to find that joy more consistently. And it's, it's part of the kingdom of God. It makes sense. You've got to leave, to some degree, the kingdom of the world and get into the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of joy I want us to have. That's the kind of joy that can be found for us. It's a joy in the Holy Spirit, in the kingdom of God. The reason many times I think we don't find it is because we don't know that secret. The secret of joy, the secret of where it's at. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's in the kingdom of God. When I started thinking about the secret, I, you know, it's, it's like the devil's all the time messing with you and saying, come over here, this is where you can be happy. Come get this. This is where you can be happy. Come over here and get happy. And I'm thinking, psst, psst, psst. Listen, here's the secret. It's not over here, and it's not here, and it's, it's not there. It's in the kingdom of God. It's in the Holy Spirit. It reminded me uh, a few years ago. I, I can't remember if it was a teacher at uh, Westside or Centerville, or it's somewhere over on the other side of town, uh, was teaching the students about vowels and said every uh, word has a vowel. Vowels are important. 
And says, as a matter of fact, I'll even challenge you if you can bring me a word in the dictionary that doesn't have a vowel, I'll give you $50. And that's how it got in the newspaper that I read. Well, because a student comes back, and I said, can I find a word without a vowel? Well, it's interesting, you know, if you've ever, nobody has a dictionary anymore, right? You just Google everything. But if you, if you had an English dictionary, the old paper copy, in the back there was always an abbreviation section, all, all the things that are just abbreviations, not really words. Well, some of those have made it into the dictionary section. Because I found them like Mr., Mrs., Misk, Ms., or um, uh, Tis, Tisk. Some sounds are in there, like hmm or brr. There's no vowels in those. But that's not the one the student brought back to the teacher. The one the student brought back to the teacher was the word. It's now in the English dictionary. Psst. Psst. No vowels. And the definition is, come here, let me tell you a secret. It's, it's the sound we make for, I've got something for you. Psst. Listen. And it's joy. It's not here, 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 and here. It's, let me tell you a secret. And I use secret in the sense that it's unrevealed and it's hidden to the unbeliever. They don't get it. This is the secret life of the Christian. We know where joy, the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, we know where it's found. It's in the kingdom of God. So this morning I just want to take some time and say where it's not found. Because Satan is roaring about like an evil lion seeking to devour us, get us off track into things that do bring us earthly temporal pleasure, but we don't want just earthly temporal pleasure. We want unending, irrevocable joy from the Lord. And to have that, we've, we've got to get off the side roads, the sidetrack, get on to the track of joy. I defined joy for you last week, I think maybe before that as well. The way I'm defining joy is a sense of satisfaction and delight in and with the sovereign presence and activity of God. Joy is a sense of satisfaction and delight with the sovereign presence and activity of God. So we, in the kingdom of God, we, we learn to take great delight in, have great satisfaction with being in God's presence. You remember Psalm 16, in His presence is fullness of joy. He's the source of joy, the substance of joy. In His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And we saw last week that joy was in the beginning on page one of the Bible. And how joy was in God. Joy was with God. And joy flows out of God for us and His people. So if we're not experiencing this fruit of the Spirit, we need to be. Maybe we're on a side road. Maybe we've been sidetracked. Just like it's commonly known, many people are looking for love in all the wrong places. So I think it's also true that many people are looking for joy in all the wrong places. So let's, let's see what some of those places are. Let's get them out of our pursuit, out of our system, that we might find that unending, irrevocable joy that God has for us. So one of the sidetracks, secondary path, is circumstances. 
many times we find our joy in circumstances. We know if we're doing that, we lose it all when the circumstances turn sour. Which is why it's interesting that James chapter 1, you know this verse, you can turn there if you like, but you don't need to because you know it. James 1, 2 says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when what? When you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy because the joy is not in the trial. It's not in the circumstance. You consider it joy because it's in God's presence. God's still there. God's still at work. So you could consider yourself to be in a state of joy even when your circumstances have become trials, difficulties, afflictions. There can still be joy for us. Look at Philippians 4, verse 11 and 12. Here the example of Paul talks about his circumstances. Philippians 4, verse 11, Paul says, Not that I speak from want. I'm not speaking because I I want anything or I need anything. He says, But I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and also how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well to share with my affliction. Paul says, I'm writing during a time in my life when I am afflicted. He says, I appreciate you sharing with me in that affliction, but I'm not writing this back so that you can take away of my affliction. It's interesting in this letter, Philippians, Paul's in prison. You know, the most miserable of conditions. And he's in bondage. He can't do a lot. He doesn't have anything. And yet, it's only four chapters long. He mentions joy 16 times. And he says here, I've I've, I've learned to, to just dwell in the joy of the Lord, regardless of my circumstances. He says, I want you to know that. I've learned that. I want you to get the secret. I want you who, who, who pity me now to, to have joy in your circumstances. Because they're far better than mine, but it's not about the circumstance. It's about this divine presence and activity of God and seeing it constantly in your life, which you do if the Spirit dwells in you. And you're full of the Spirit. Look at another passage, 1 Corinthians 4. Talk about Paul's experiences. Here's a description. 1 Corinthians 4, 10 through 13. Far worse than any of us that I know of have, have gone through. 1 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 10, he says this. He says, We're fools for Christ's sake, but you're prudent in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished. We are without honor. To this very present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed, and roughly treated, and homeless, and we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. Uh, We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Uh, Would you want his circumstances? 
Anybody want to sign up for that? Obviously not. Those, those are the worst circumstances imaginable. He says, I am hungry. I am thirsty. I don't have a home. I'm working my fingers to the bone and I still can't make it. And people look at me as an outcast. They look at me as the scum of the earth when they see me coming. He says, that's my present condition. And yet I've learned how to be joyful. I've learned to rejoice. Obviously, the secret is that joy is not in the circumstances. What is the tempter constantly telling us? Switch your circumstances if you want to be happy. You just need to, to get out of that job. You just need to get out of that marriage. You need to get out of that responsibility. You need to get out of that house. You need to get out of that car. You need to get out of whatever. Change your circumstances. But you don't see God saying that's necessary. You don't need different circumstances. You can have joy in the worst of circumstances. So don't fall for that trick. That your joy's in the circumstances. Because as soon as you fall for that, God's going to mess with your circumstances and you're going to lose all your joy. As his test to say that's not where it should have been the first place. Joy's not in our... Yeah, circumstances bring us some pleasure. I'm not saying that. I'm trying to give you a contrast between earthly pleasures and unending, irrevocable pleasures. The joy of the Lord. God's given us many gifts that bring us a certain degree of pleasure, but they're always temporal pleasures, pleasures that can vanish. And because of that, that's not where our joy can, must be found. Second sidetrack is things. Um, let's, let's, let's deal with some essential things, not just, you know, beat us up over trivial things. What would be some essential things? How about food? How about clothing? What does God say about essential things? Look at, uh, you know this too, Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaks to us about these things. Matthew 6, verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, that's food, or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on, clothes. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Cut to the quick, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. What's in the kingdom? Joy is in the kingdom. Joy in the Holy Spirit. So many times we're seeking things to bring us happiness. He says, don't, don't really give a thought to that. Things make you happy, yes. But it's so temporal. And you can lose the things. You can be without the things. If your joy's wrapped up in them, you're going to lose the joy. Seek first the kingdom of God, which is, remember Romans 14, it's not about eating or drinking. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we need to get off of that sidetrack. Uh, I thought of a couple examples in the Scripture. Look at 1 Kings 21. 1 through 4. 1 Kings 21. Here's the story of, uh, of Ahab. And Ahab, I mean, he's king. And uh, in this passage, 
if, if I were putting the heading in my Bible, I'd call it Ahab's a crybaby. Okay? Because that's, that's what he's doing. Here's the king, and he's just a little crybaby. Look, 1 Kings 21, it says, Now it came about after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's close by my house and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place if you like. I will give you the price of it in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, No, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab came into his house, sullen, vexed. This is him crying, see. Because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face, and he ate no food. He's just bawling his eyes out. Poor little king. I mean, you think, here's the most powerful man in the world. And he's coveting this garden beside him. And the guy who owns the garden says, it's my garden. And Ahab just loses his, all his joy. Because he can't have those things. He ends up killing the guy for those things. Gets even less joy as a result. Because he's not seeking it in the kingdom of God. You will find somebody who seeks it in the kingdom of God and how they have it. Look at Habakkuk chapter 3, the last few verses. Those of you who are in my discipleship class, you can get there fast. You remember Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Okay? You might have to sing the song to get there, but it's, it's, it's there. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Small little book. Great book. Great story of, of one who gets it. And he says this, last um, three verses of the book. Chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom. So here's the food again. And basically he's saying, though I run out of food. And there is no fruit on the vines, though the field yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, for He has made my feet like hinds feet, and makes me walk on the high places. Here's an example of a believer who's got joy when the things are gone. We so much put our joy in things. We don't know how to get here. We get here by finding delight and satisfaction in the presence and activity of God. Let's not be crybabies like Ahab. Well, I just don't have good enough clothes, or I just don't have good enough food, or I just don't have the right car, or I just don't have the right house, or I just don't have whatever. That's not what's keeping you from joy. Joy's in the kingdom of God. Get off that track. It's the temptation of the evil one to, to, to make us think we've got to have things and more things and better things and prettier things for joy. No, we don't. Psst, there's a secret. That there's joy in the Lord, in the Holy Spirit, in the kingdom of God that transcends all of those temporal pleasures. Third sidetrack, people and acceptance. We find a lot of delight in people. People especially if they approve of us and accept us and encourage us. And even still, that's a great channel for God's work, but that's not where we should find our joy. I remember Larry Holmes 
when he was heavyweight boxing champion and started uh, losing it. People started criticizing him. And I remember an interview where he comes out and says, well, I'm still a winner to my family, and that's all that matters. And I thought, I'm glad you've got your family. And I'm glad your family embraces you and accepts you at this time in your life. I said, but you shouldn't, and I, of course I didn't say it to him, I said it to myself, uh, you shouldn't put your joy in your family, in people. Yes, there's pleasure in fellowship and relationships. But suppose tomorrow your family's in a car wreck and you lose them all. Will your joy be gone? That's another temptation is to put our joy someplace that is not the source of joy. Or our family's crippled, or our family's murdered, or our family's taken from us somehow. Uh, family's important, but it's not the source of joy. It's, 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 it's not where we will have it. In Philippians 1, verse 18, again, we were in Philippians a minute ago. Remember, Paul's in prison. He makes this statement about just kind of being neglected. Uh, Philippians 1, 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaiming, and this I rejoice. He's, Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 1 there, he says, People are, are, are misusing the gospel, but Christ is proclaimed. Some people are doing it for money. He says, I'm being neglected. People don't like me. People are despising me. But he says, doesn't matter. I still rejoice in the Lord. A lot of us, I had to confess this week, you know, seeking some of my pleasure through the acceptance of others. Yes, it's pleasurable, but I shouldn't be pursuing that. I shouldn't be seeking that. I should be seeking the Lord, seeking His kingdom, seeking His righteousness, finding my joy there, and then it's unending and it's irrevocable. But it's so easy to get on a sidetrack. Um, you remember the, story, the, the life of Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, I loved her radio program. She, she buried two husbands, almost outlived, I guess, the third. And yet her radio program was called Gateways to Joy. I want to do that next week. Just a message on, these are the sidetracks away from joy. Give you a message on the gateways to joy. But that, was, that summed up her life. Even though... The people most precious to her, her husbands, she buried them and yet had a life of just tremendous joy, joy in the Lord. She knew where it was found. She sought it in the right place. Second, uh, fourth, sidetrack is accomplishments. Accomplishments bring us a lot of joy, don't they? I mean, some of the simplest things bring you joy. Cleaning up the house, cleaning up the kitchen, um, Cleaning up the yard, whatever. Anything cleaning because you get immediate satisfaction. It was messy before you, when you started. It's clean now. Looks so much better. Ah, I feel so good. Brings accomplishment. Um, but then it gets messy again. You know, if we put our, our joy in our accomplishments, it just doesn't last, whatever they are. We do it. We succeed. We win. We have victory. And then we're down again. And we have to repeat over and over and over, constantly getting more and more accomplishments if that's where our joy is found. Um, Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 7 uh, through 10. Jesus, we spoke about this last week. In, in, uh, or chapter 
10, verse 1, that begin there to give you the context. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. So these 70 disciples go out, start preaching and teaching, and they come back rejoicing and saying, God, we accomplished so much. We're able to cast out demons. We're able to heal people. We, we see Satan falling. It's, it's, the accomplishments are just unbelievable. And you remember how Jesus said, wait, 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 you got this wrong. I didn't send you out to rejoice in your accomplishments. Um, verse uh, 17 says, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, so you're, you're right, you have new power. You can accomplish lots of things. Yeah, don't discount that. But, verse 20, Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And that's something you didn't do. You don't accomplish heaven. You don't get to heaven because of anything you do. He says that's what you should rejoice in. You're rejoicing in what then? You're rejoicing in the divine activity of God. God is the one who gets you to heaven. God is the one who writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. You're rejoicing in God's presence in your life and God's work in and through you, but not in your own accomplishments. Um, It's so easy to get depressed because we just don't think we're significant. We just don't think we've accomplished anything worthwhile. We don't think we're leaving a legacy. We don't think we're leaving anything behind. We just don't think we can do it. And and it's so easy to go there and, and get our lives wrapped up in our own accomplishments and just rack up one loss after another until we convince ourselves, loser, I'm just a loser. Where we ought to see, no, 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 if my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I'm a winner. I succeed. I win. I get the heavenly mansion. I get to serve the Lord forever in glory where eyes not seen, ears not heard, all that's prepared for me. There's so much more, but it's not in my accomplishments. But you can hear Satan say, come on, you need to do one more thing. You need to do this and you'll be happy. The secret, joy's in the kingdom. It's in the Holy Spirit. It's not in these accomplishments. Fifth, sidetrack, physical health. There used to be a commercial years ago uh, where the older couple, you know, I forget which product they were uh, selling, but say, you know, if you got your health, you got everything. And so many of us have bought into that lie. If you've got your health, you've got everything. If, if I wake up and something moves, I should be happy. You know? That physical health is everything to us. Well, it shouldn't be everything. Yes, healthy bodies bring us pleasure. But it shouldn't be the source of our pleasure. Because we could lose our health no matter what we do. We can lose it. Second uh, Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. The story of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Reflect on it one more time. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says, 
because of the, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from rejoicing in myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times, and it might leave me. You know, that kind of agony right there is what he's talking about. You know, he's like, oh, it hurts. It's painful. It's miserable. And he says, thorn in the flesh. You remember even Job, God says, I'm going to let Satan have his way with Job. Till he's got boils all over his body. Till he, he can't touch anything without pain. And nothing could touch him without pain. And Paul's going through the same kind of experience. He says, I got this thorn in the flesh. And, and it's even Satan is attacking me constantly. And God's letting it happen. And he says, in that kind of pain, he says, uh, and he said to me, verse 9. And he said, I prayed about it. God won't heal me. Verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. So power, my power is going to be perfected in you when your physical body has had it. And you have nothing physically to give to anybody else. Therefore, Paul says, verse 10, I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And you know why he says all the, these insults and persecutions because when you're in a physical bad condition everybody has a solution and if you just follow their they're convinced if you'll just follow their advice you wouldn't be in such a bad fix and paul says i'm just constantly persecuted and insulted for for this thorn in the flesh and for this weakness but then i rejoice because if god is present and god is active through my weakness then that's where it's at i I will rejoice. It's not in our physical health. Sure, we want it. Sure, we should pray for it. But that's not where the joy is found. Well, after listing these five, and I'm sure that's not the only sidetracks of joy, but those are obviously predominant ones. It reminded me of the Shoop Shoop song. Y'all probably all know the Shoop Shoop song. You just didn't know that's what it was called. Uh, Brett reminded me last night that it, it wasn't by Cher. It was just a covered by Cher. It was by a lady named Betty Everett first. But the Shoop Shoop song is, the, uh, the, the main lyrics is, If you want to know if he loves you so, it's in his kiss. Remember that? And the song is like mother-daughter dialogue. And the daughter is saying, Mom, you know, how do I know if he loves me? Is it in his eyes? She said, no, 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 it's not in his eyes. Is it in his face? No, 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 it's not in his face. Is it in his embrace? No, 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 it's not there. Is it in what he does? No, 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 it's not there. It's in his kiss. You know, that's, that's the way it goes. Of course, we would disagree with the theology of that uh, because Judas proved that it's not in his kiss. You know, when he kissed Christ, it's not a proof of love. But we need to hear that dialogue, I think, when it comes to joy. Because we are constantly waking up saying, Lord, I want joy today. Is it in my circumstances? And God says, no, 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 it's not in your circumstances. Well, then, is it in what I accomplished? No, 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 it's not in your accomplishments. 
Well, then is it in my health? I'll, 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 I'll be healthy today. I'll exercise. I'll go to the wife. No, no, no. It's not in your health. Well, is it in food? I'll savor it. I'll drink good stuff. No, no, no. It's not in those things. Is it in people? I'll spend more time with people. No, no, no. Not in that. It's in the Holy Spirit. It's in the kingdom of God. It's in seeking God's presence and activity. In His presence is fullness of joy. And at His right hand that He's working at all the time, there are pleasures forevermore. It's in the presence and activity of our God. But it's so easy to think it's somewhere else. And you might have been on that track and we miss the significant tracks of joy. Well, I'm going to give you some tracks for joy next week. But let's, let me show you an example of somebody who got it. So you get the big picture. Let's look at Job real quick. Look at Job chapter 1. And I'll give you a quick uh, summary. Job's the book just before Psalms. So just to the left of the middle of your Bible. Job chapter 1. And you kind of know the story. What does Job lose? All those sidetracks we just mentioned. Job loses his circumstances. He's, he's basically the wealthiest man on earth at this point, chapter 1. He's very wealthy, very rich, has big mansion, lots of houses, lots of barns, lots of animals, lots of crops. He's got it all. Lots of servants, lots of sons, lots of daughters. He has it all. What does he lose? He loses his house. He loses his, his uh, circumstances. Everything falls down with storms. He loses his crops. He loses his servants. Even his sons and daughters die. He loses his joy in his family and his people. At the end of losing all of that in very rapid succession, he responds, chapter 1, verse 20, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. So basically I'm naked again. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of of the Lord. This is, I rejoice in the name of the Lord. I rejoice that though all of this has happened, I am still in the presence of my God. I am still experiencing the activity of my God. So I rejoice. Job wasn't on the sidetrack. He was where he needed to be. And so in the most unbelievable experience known to man where he loses it all, and he even gets to the place he loses his flesh, like it says, eaten up with disease, he's still rejoicing. Now, he's not a perfect man. He sins a few times through this book. Let me show you one of them. This is the time he just loses it and misses it. It's in chapter 19. Chapter 19, and let's pick it up about verse 7. cry. And I'm not a good drama person, but a drama person could cry. You know, behold, I cry. And this is basically him looking at God and saying, violence! It's basically saying, I hate you! And you'll see these words as he comes through. He says, I get no answer. Crying out to God. He's not answering. I shout for help. There's no justice. 
He has walled up my way so that I can't pass. He has put darkness on my pass. He has stripped my honor from me. He has removed the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I'm gone. He's uprooted my hope like a tree. He has also kindled his anger against me and he has considered me his enemy. It's crucial to get that language. God is angry at me and God treats me like an enemy. His troops come together and build up their way against me and camp around my tent. He has removed my brothers far from me and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed. My intimate friends have forgotten me. Those who live in my house, my maids consider me a stranger. I am a foreigner in their sight. I call to my servant, doesn't answer. I have to employ him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. Even my wife thinks I got bad breath. You know, I won't, she won't even come near me. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even young children despise me. I rise up, and they speak against me. All my associates abhor me, and those I love have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and my flesh, and I've escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Pity me, pity me, O oh, you my friends. Here it is again. For the hand of God has struck me. No joy. Why no joy? Because he came to a place he wasn't experiencing the presence of God. God is separated from me. And furthermore, God's not only estranged, he's not only away from me, he's viewing me as an enemy. He treats me like an enemy. If God is not in my life, if He does not love me, if He's not working in and through me, there's no joy. My life's done. It's over. But Job gets it. Go to chapter 42, the conclusion. And notice what he says. Job 42, verse 4. He says, Hear now, and I'll speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract. I repent. He's, I retract. I retract everything I just said about you being a violent God, about you being my enemy. I retract all of that. I repent of, of those views, of those thoughts in dust and ashes. Why? Because now I see you. Because now I've entered again into your presence. And in your presence, no matter how bad it is, is fullness of joy. When I couldn't see you, I lost hope. But now that I'm in your presence, everything's okay. Of course, God comes to him after that and restores everything he had uh, twice as much. But he got it. He got it when he lost all the temporal things to rejoice in the Lord. And God tested him. What if I removed myself? Job says, that'd be the, most, that'd be the worst thing that could ever happen. I'd have no hope. Life would be nothing but violence and treacherous. He says, I see that that's not happened, though. God is, is still with me, and he's in me, and it brought him Great joy. That's the secret. The secret of joy is maintaining this vision, this kingdom perspective, that joy is 
in the presence of God. He's the, the source of all joy. And as long as He is with us, we will have it. And it, He fills us with His Spirit so that we will have it. And the fruit of the Spirit's work will be joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, so even if we're in trials, we can consider it all joy in trials. Because God's still with us, and He's still active. Or like the Apostle Paul, we can have this terrible fleshly affliction and say, but as long as I see God at work in my weakness, I can rejoice because I have the presence and I have the activity of my God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. Here's one you need to memorize. given it to you before, but I'm going to give it to you again. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4. Paul says, Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. And here's what you need to memorize. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. How are you doing today? Have this one memorized. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. How are you doing? I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. So you don't have to remove the affliction to be happy. You don't have to change the circumstances. You don't have to change your health. You don't have to change your food, your lack of food, your lack of clothing, your lack of anything. I'm overflowing with joy. And notice Paul says, in all our afflictions. I'm not the only one. He's talking to the Corinthians. You've got some afflictions of your own. And as your pastor, I bear your burdens. They rest on my soldiers. I get on my knees and pray for you. And I pray for your healing. And I pray for God's mercies in your afflictions. Your afflictions bother me. But I still want you to know I'm overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. Because I'm in the presence of God. And I see His work through the afflictions. Your life is a mess, but he's working through that mess. And he's doing something wonderful. I read the story once. Um, uh, dad who came into the kitchen, and it was a mess. And so dad uh, <clears throat> cleaned it all up. I mean, he was so proud of himself. Because the sink was completely polished and clean, nothing's in it, all the dishes are put away. I mean, the, the, the kitchen was immaculate, it was spotless. He couldn't wait for his wife, you know, to see just this work of art. He's cleaning up the kitchen. And he thought, well, I'll even top that, I'll go to the store and get some stuff for dinner and all that. So he goes to the store, when he comes back in the door, steps into the kitchen, and it looked like a hurricane had just come through. You know, just imagine in your mind as, as messy as it can get. You know, pots and pans are now in the sink. They're all over the counter. Somebody has obviously spilled flour, you know, everywhere. It's on every, You can write on the counters. There's so much stuff. And as he just, you know, the joy just goes out of him. He's like, ah, you know, he's starting to get furious. Who did this? And as he's scanning the room, he sees a plate of cookies and a note in front of it. 
So he goes over to read the note, and it says, I'm making something for you, Daddy. Love your angel. And that changed everything. Because now it's not about the mess. It's now about enjoying the presence of his daughter who had never done anything like this, but did it because she loved her dad. And he began to see the value in her presence and her activity in his life. And it's the same way with our God. I'm sure God looks down at us many times, and it is a mess. And he's not so consumed with that mess. Sometimes we get so consumed with our mess because we put our joy in cleaning up that mess when our joy doesn't need to be there. It needs to be in the presence and activity of God's love. God says, don't worry so much about the mess because I'm with you and I'm doing so. Do do you really firmly Trust the truth of Romans 8, 28. God is at work. Do, may, no matter what it is, God works all things together for good to those who love Him and are called together for His purposes. No matter how big, how great the mess, God's at work. And when you see that and you rejoice in His presence, there's joy that overflows. Let's, let's pray about that. Let's pray together. Father, we, just, we pause for a moment just to reflect on our week, our lives. And like Job, we, we retract. We recant. We repent of, of all the times we've, we've come before you and said, Lord, if, if, if I could just have this thing, if I could just be with this person, if I could just have something a little more, something a little better. And we repent. Lord, forgive us for for seeking these paths of the tempter and the evil one who seeks to destroy our joy in our lives. And let us return to the joy of the Lord. Let us return to seeking His face and His pleasure and his presence and his law and his commands and his ways father we've we've made a mess of much we're so thankful we worship and adore you that you don't turn us away because of our mess that we can come to you as we are and you have such ability you can work through the mess and make something beautiful of our lives something glorious, that we will be transformed into the image of our Savior. We praise you and we adore you. Father, forgive us if we've, we've just really missed it this week and bring us back. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.